You probably noticed in your bulletin that we're going to be in the book of Daniel today. Daniel, that, that prophet Daniel, that, no, no, more than a prophet. He was a great prophet, a very great prophet. This is a, this is a man that received from the Lord a, a vision, actually through a dream of Nebuchadnezzar, of the four great world empires all the way up till the coming of the, of the, of the kingdom of, of the Messiah. So he got to see this panoramic view of history. He was such a blessed person. If you think about it, he was a teenager when his land was conquered by a foreign power. And that foreign power decided it wanted to collect a bunch of important people from the land and take them to their headquarters, back to their capital city, and train them up. So here's a, a young man in his teenage years stripped away from everything that he knows in a foreign country and here he lands and God does some great things with him. Such a great prophet. But I don't know if you've ever thought about it. Daniel is a politician. Did you ever think about that? Daniel is a politician. In fact, he's over a third of the kingdom when we talk about it today. And not only a politician, he was a politician in two pagan governments. Flat out pagan governments. Had nothing to do with God or God's ways or God's laws, but he was politicizing, if you want to say, in two pagan governments. What we have to understand is that God called him to be a politician. Whoa, really? Daniel chapter one, after they're taken out of their land, Israel, brought to, to, to Babylon, we read this. This is what God did for Daniel and his three friends. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And it was because of this, they're put in positions of political power within the empire. God called him to be a politician. Some of you think that's not even possible, and I don't even know, I mean... <laughs> God calling a person to be a politician, but he calls Daniel and his three friends to be political leaders in a foreign country. It's an amazing thing. How could, he, this is a question I have when I'm thinking about this. How could you, with a clear conscience, serve two pagan governments? You can't tell me there wasn't something that the, govern, the government was doing that was contrary to the law of God. Well, I mean, we do read about something today that happens. But throughout the time he's being a political leader in these two, these two world empires, the Babylons and the Medes and the Persians, you ask yourself, how could he do it in a pagan government? I can't believe every decision that the kings made would have honored God and how did he respond? We don't have a lot of information, we don't know. But this is questions I would ask if I was in Daniel's position, high up in a foreign government, being a political leader, having to deal with everything that I'm encountering on a regular basis, how would I respond to it? Maybe he, since he's over a third of the kingdom, maybe he understood that he's only responsible for the areas that he can influence. If he can influence these areas, then maybe those are the things he's responsible for. He's not responsible for other things, but how would one live and interact in a pagan government? I'm not quite sure. We do know this. He did not have a compromising character. We know that for a fact, because when he came into the land, he was unwilling to compromise his, the law of God and, and deal with what the king was trying to do. So he doesn't have a compromising character, and he's a man of integrity, and when you say an uncompromising character and a man of integrity and politician in the same sentence, that doesn't normally happen. 
But that's who he was. He was an uncompromising character, a man of complete integrity and a politician. This was a man who had deep faith in his Lord. Deep faith in his Lord. Here's a picture of what could have looked like in the lion's den. We don't know exactly. We don't have a lot of information on what's going on. But what I want you to notice the picture is this. Daniel's eyes are not on his problems. The lion's. Daniel's eyes are looking towards heaven where the answer to his problems are. This was a man of great faith, a man of uncompromising integrity and a politician. So he kept his integrity as he served in his political positions. Yet we know there is a limit on the authority of government. And Daniel understood this. And this is what's happening in the text today. He understood that government has a limited authority over people on earth. So what we're going to see here in chapter six of Daniel is that faithfulness to God can get you into trouble with the powers that be. That's it. I mean, that's basically the bottom line. Faithfulness to God will get, could get you in trouble with the powers that be. I wonder, as believers, do we fear the powers that be more than we fear God? Now, there's a lot of power out there in the powers that be. They have a, a tremendous amount of power to, to harm our lives or to better our lives. But the question is, do we fear God more than we fear them, the powers that be? Daniel had to make a decision today in the text. He stands definitely on one side. So at this time, he had served in capacity of a political leader for about 39 years. He's over 80 years old at this time. So he's been around a long time. Not only does he have wisdom from God, he has just life, life learning wisdom. So this is where we're coming in in chapter six. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is off the scene. Babylon is dead. The head of gold is gone. The Medes and the Persians, the second world empire, has taken over. And Darius is part of the Medes and the Persians. Chapter six, verse one. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. They're regional governors over, you know, the kingdom is quite large. It's a world empire. So they're over the regions and then uh, to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials. So you have the 120 satraps and then the three officials over them whom they were report back to. And Daniel is one of those. Daniel was one of them to whom these satraps gave, should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. So their, their, their responsibility is to make sure that the kingdom runs well, the kingdom doesn't lose people or wealth, or that's their job, take care of the, the king's assets. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps. Daniel is a foreigner, don't forget that. He's not of the Medes and the Persians. He's a foreigner. He become distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned, he has, a, he, has a, he has a policy, to set him over the whole kingdom. So he's gonna elevate him from the three to the one who answers directly to the king, the king to this one over the three. He's gonna elevate him, a foreigner. He's gonna elevate him. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel. They are professionally jealous of this man with regard to the kingdoms. In other words, in his job working in the kingdom, they were looking for a complaint, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. He did a good job in his position as a political leader. 
Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Being a religious person, they're thinking, how can we bring him in conflict with his God? Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. It really sounds like flattery, but that's kind of the way you address kings in those days, okay? All the high officials of the kingdom. Now, don't forget that. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition asking favor to any God or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, just pause for a second. This wasn't a a thing about banning prayer. This was basically a statement that the king is the only one recognized as divine and you may only pray to him. So it's worshiping the divine is the issue here, okay? Keep that in mind. Okay, um, should be, okay so, um, and whoever makes petition to any God or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction, sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which means once it's signed, it cannot be revoked, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunctions. So here we have the backstory of what's going on. We are told right away of his, of his character. He had a remarkable spirit. He had an excellent spirit about him. In fact, even the queen mother, when the writing on the wall happened, said, hey, go get Daniel. He's got an excellent spirit in him of the gods. He will give you direction. In other words, he's in touch with the divine. Go get Daniel. He had this excellent spirit. Could have been his attitude, could have been his aptitude. More likely, it's a, of, of a divine sovereign thing that is supernaturally this excellent spirit. In other words, this excellent spirit is evidence that God was at work in his life and the shaping of the person he had become. This was from God, this excellent spirit. It wasn't that he was just some great God. No, God made him this way. God raised him up. God called him. God equipped him with this excellent spirit. And so because Daniel was faithful to the king and did a great job at work, he made enemies. You ever been there before at work? You're doing the right thing. You're abiding by the policy as long as it's possible to abide by the policy. You're, you're, you're taking your 15-minute break and not a 25-minute. You, you're doing the right thing and others around you are not. You know what it's like. You hear the rumors and the talk about it. He did the right thing and he had enemies because he did the right thing. He was really good at what he did as a political leader. So these opponents saw Daniel's religion as his weak point. They knew about him, they, they knew his character, and they knew who he was, and they knew his relationship to God, but they viewed it as his Achilles heel, his weak point. And let me tell you today, people that are not of faith, in other words, are not believers in Jesus Christ, they look on us as weak-minded people. How, how can you be so weak to, believe, to live your life by a book that's thousands of years old? I mean, get the dust off the thing. They think that we're weak that we can't reason or rational or have wisdom. They think that we're, it's still today the same thing. Weak-minded people, you Christians. They believe that there would be enough evidence to convict Daniel for being a believer. Let me repeat that. They believe there would be enough evidence to convict Daniel as a believer. And I thought, boy, if I had to go to court, is there enough evidence in my life that I'm a believer? I mean, just by my very life, could I give evidence in a court of law that I'm a believer? Daniel was quite obvious. They knew his stand before God. So what they did is they, they founded a conspiracy 
against Daniel. Now, it wasn't a conspiracy theory. It was a real conspiracy. Now, by the way, did you know the difference between a conspiracy theory and truth? Thank you. Six months. (laughs) That's about it. So this is not a conspiracy theory. This is a conspiracy to get Daniel out of the way. And they lied about it. They flat out lied about it. They said all of us agreed on this. Daniel wasn't part of that. The opponents lied when they said all the officials because he did not consent. They just flat out lied. Huh, a politician lying? I'm shocked. I should have got more laughter out of that because that is sadly a, see, humor has to have a bit of, of truth in it. And there's a lot of truth in the fact that politicians lie to us. They lie to us. And they lied about Daniel. Shouldn't surprise us actually when officials lie. We desire truth in government but we get lies instead. We, we stand for the truth. And, and even Daniel knowing standing for the truth, there could be a cost for that. During World War II, Pastor Cage Monk spoke out, spoke out against the na- uh, Nazi annexation of Denmark. He said to fellow pastors, we stand as a temple of the holy God. All others have their obligations to this or that. We alone have our obligation to the truth. When justice or injustice is at stake, then we must never ask whether it is worth it. For then the devil always wins. On these issues, it will always be a worthwhile fight. What we as a church lack is most assuredly not psychology or psychological literature. We lack a holy rage. And in January of 1944, the Nazis drug him out to a field and filled his body full of bullets because he stood for the truth. Daniel's going to stand for the truth. And you know the story. We've read it. You heard it in Sunday school. It's not a new story. He's going to pay for standing for the truth. We need that moral courage today as believers to stand for truth even when it costs us something. Problem is often we're not informed well enough to know that we're being lied to. You got to get some good information. Can't make good decisions without information. And not everything you hear on the mainstream news is the truth. So have some good sources so you know what the truth is that's out there and you know when they're lying to you. Let me come back to this thought that the greatest testimony to a believer's walk is when their enemies can find no ground for an accusation against them except in your faith in God. What a great place to be. Working diligently and responsibly is a great way to influence a non-Christian society, being good employees. In fact, Paul talked about that in Colossians. He said, Colossians 3, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. He worked diligently. He was responsible in his job and that gave testimony to his faith in God. So the law of God and the law of the Medes and the Persians are deliberately brought into conflict by these people. They knew exactly what they were doing. They knew that Daniel was faithful to his God and he would always be faithful to his God. So they found a way to trap him in his faithfulness. They deli- God's law makes an absolute command and the king's law made an absolute command. So there's a conflict there. There's absolute commands on both sides. To whom then do we obey? That was Daniel's question. The conflict is there. 
You know, I, I never fully grasped what this symbol meant. Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Let me first explain what's on this. The left-hand side is Moses and the children of Israel at the Red Sea. In the distance is the pillar of fire, the Shekinah glory of God representing the presence of God. On the right-hand side is Pharaoh and his army being drowned in the Red Sea. This was actually proposed by Benjamin Franklin in 1776 to go on the back of the great seal of the United States of America. It was not accepted, but it was, cho it was, it was, it was in the running. But I never fully understand, understood what that actually means. See, tyrants claim absolute authority and demand unconditional obedience. That's what a tyrant does. So Daniel did not set out to become a rebel. That wasn't his intention. His intention wasn't, oh, I hate this government, I'm gonna overthrow it. That, that was not his intention. He did not set out to be a rebel. He was faithful to his God and his faithfulness put him in rebellion to God, uh, to, to, to the king. He didn't choose to be a rebel. His faithfulness to God made him a rebel to the king. I understand that now. When we're faithful to God, tyrants look at us and think that we're in rebellion to them. It makes perfect sense now. He didn't choose to be a rebel. He was put in that position because of his faithfulness to God. He was viewed as a rebel. So he's this den of lions is the punishment to whoever would pray to the divine outside of the king for 30 days. That's where we're at right here in verse number 10. When Daniel knew, so he got, he got word that the document had been signed. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. This is a, 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 an important phrase, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement. In other words, there was a plan. Hey, we're meeting at six o'clock. I think that's when Daniel prays. We'll catch him. There was a plan. So they came in agreement. Uh, they came in agreement um, and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into a den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles, that foreigner Daniel, exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. He is addressing the divine outside of you, king. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. Obviously, Daniel and the king had a good relationship. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or ordinance the king establishes can be changed. The king is trapped in his signature. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. It's fast. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Again, Daniel and the king must have had a really good relationship here. This is what's important. Daniel will not hide the fact that he prays. 
He could have. He could have still gone to his upper room. He could have still got down on his knees and prayed without opening the windows. But he opened the windows. He wanted them to know he was praying. He wasn't hiding the fact. He could have. He did not hide the fact that he was praying. Because this is something that he's responsible to God to be in fellowship with God. The divine driver observes, it is not, as with his three companions in chapter three, a question of a positive sin which he will not commit, but of a positive duty which he will not omit. So that's what he said. So no other gods but Darius for 30 days. No other divine interaction but Darius for 30 days. Daniel says, I can't do that. You've crossed the line here. See, Daniel was a person of courage and conviction who was willing to stand for God even if it meant his death. I'm willing to do the right thing because it's the right thing. And he kept doing what he was already doing. He didn't start a new thing. He kept doing what he was normally doing already. Again, I say he did not set out to overthrow the government. That was not his intention at all. In fact, he didn't over. That was not what he had planned. His intention was to be faithful. Just be faithful. And his faithfulness put in rebellion to the king. But could you imagine if there were 100,000 Daniels in the kingdom that said, no, we can't do that. Or 200,000 Daniels in the kingdom that says, no, we can't do that. We won't. Could it have changed the empire? Maybe. What if we had 100,000 people or 200,000 people or a million people in America and stand up and do the right thing? Could we change our nation? Maybe. Life Application Bible says, the person who trusts in God and obeys his will is untouchable until God takes him or her. To trust God is to have immeasurable peace. Daniel did not know the outcome. We know the outcome. We read the story. He did not know the outcome, but he was trusting that whatever God decided, he was okay with that. He was okay with that. Now, we don't know why three times a day. Usually the morning and the evening sacrifices is when they prayed. So there's no hard, fast rule of praying three times a day. But Daniel did. And he opened up the window and everyone saw him praying. So remember, Daniel does not begin praying when things get tough. He's been praying all along. He just doesn't add it to his life when things get hard. He's been praying all along, as he previously had done. He's consistently faithful. David Wilkerson wrote, don't be mistaken, faithful praying will not keep you out of a crisis. On the contrary, it will most likely bring you into a fired up furnace and a lion's den. But prayer will prepare you to face it, with, uh, face it all with trust, to become a living sacrifice for Jesus' sake. So he doesn't start praying so he would get himself out of trouble. He was praying all along. He had an impact because they knew his consistency and his faithfulness to his God. And it's great for us. Our consistency and faithfulness is a testimony to the unbelieving world of the truth of God. We really believe it. Daniel's act is more revolutionary than we would like to give him credit for. It is really a revolutionary thing. He's standing up against the king of a vast world empire. So the next step of the officials is this. Let's meet together at a certain time and let's spy on Daniel. It's exactly what they were doing. They were spying on Daniel. So Daniel's opponents sought an occasion to impeach Daniel and make sure he never held office again. <laughs> Their complaints were threefold. Daniel was not of them. He was a foreigner. Daniel disrespected the king and Daniel disrespected the law. Those are the three complaints they had. He's a foreigner. 
He disrespected, he didn't respect you king in your, in your edict and he didn't respect the law of the Medes and the Persians. Those are the three complaints that he had. So Daniel here, this powerful political leader in a foreign country, in a pagan government, but Daniel honored God above the king. He says, there's a line that I'm unwilling to cross. I'm willing to, 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 to submit myself to you up to this point, but when you cross that, I can't go there. I, I just, I will not go there. I must be faithful to God. If that brings me in opposition to you, it's not my intention, but I must be faithful to God. Stephen Miller wrote, Corey Tinboon broke the law of Germany when she hid Jews from the Nazis during World War II, but she would have broken a higher law had she not tried to prevent the murder of innocents. Today, Christians are being called upon to make difficult ethical choices. As the world becomes more and more secular and sinful, believers will increasingly find themselves taking stands that are unpopular and positions that may even violate the law of the land. Daniel says, I can only go, I, I can't go there. I, I don't, my intention is not to be offensive to you, king, or offensive to the law, but there is a higher law that I must obey. So Daniel's opponents attempted to make it impossible for him to remain loyal to God and loyal to the king at the same time. They totally failed, by the way. They totally failed. For the, for the believer, Daniel's first loyalty was to God. Jay Goldengay wrote, by putting loyalty to God above loyalty to the state, he has been loyal to the truth and thus more loyal to the state than those who make of it more than it is and certainly than those who use it to serve their own ends as his adversaries have. He was loyal to the truth. That's an interesting statement. So this prayer that he prays denies that the ultimacy of the king's power by acknowledging a higher power. That's what the prayer was doing. There is a divine above you, king. Yahweh, the creator, the covenant-making God. He's above you. Surely the Bible does teach us that we are to obey the civil authorities over us. I understand that. But the Bible always also teaches us that there is a higher law, the law of God. We cannot violate the law of God. There is a higher law. In fact, even Peter understood this in Acts chapter five. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The desire isn't to be a rebel. That's not, that's not the intent. The intent is to be faithful to God, but that puts them in a position to be seen as a rebel. It's not his intention, but that's what they look at him as. So Daniel's confident, whatever God's gonna choose, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. And by putting a seal on the, on, on, on the, uh, the den of lions, it really means that God's gotta show up to fix this thing because you can't come break the seal. A normal portion can't. God's gotta show up to fix this problem. So now we're told that the king spent the night in fasting exactly what he was hoping the lions were doing. <laughs> Look at verse number 19. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And you've got to ask yourself, why? Typically, lions eat what's in their den. Why would the king? He obviously knows something is going to happen here. He at least has somewhat of a confidence that perhaps Daniel's God has, has delivered him. He goes to check it out. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. Again, there's this relationship between the king and Daniel. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever my God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. 
So in other words, Daniel is blameless before the king as well because God understands the higher law. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded that those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. Now, probably not the 120 total, all the satraps, probably just a few of them. I'm sure not 120 of them, but a few of them, the instigators of the conspiracy. They, their children, and their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. So the lions were hungry. They were hungry. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and language after this event that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. So Daniel is rescued from the lions. And we know the story. So for the king to think it's even possible that Daniel could be saved, it's likely that Daniel had told him some stories of what God did for the children of Israel. Perhaps going through the Red Sea, perhaps the, the manna and the water in the wilderness that God acted on behalf of his people. So the king expected something miraculous but before his God, Daniel was blameless. Before his God, this demonstrates a meekness in the presence of authority. Remember, he's third in the kingdom. He could think he's something, but he, do, he doesn't. He's, he's, he's meek under the authority of God is the idea. And the idea of petition is to cast yourself on someone's grace. He's asking for God's grace. He petitioned God for God's grace. Help me, God. So Daniel was delivered. He was delivered from the lion's den because it was God's will to deliver him. That doesn't always mean believers are delivered from martyrdom. In this case, it was God's will to, now, did Daniel have faith? Yes, absolutely, Daniel had faith. He had great faith. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews talks about his faith. He, uh, Hebrews 11, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. He did have faith, but it was God's will for him to be delivered right here. He could have died. He didn't know what was going to happen to him, but God chose to save him, to deliver him out of this. See, he didn't know. He didn't know the rest of the story. We know the rest of the story. We know what happens to him. He's living it at the moment. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. He's living it. He believed that God would act justly in whatever God would do, and he trusted God. An anonymous author wrote, no question about it, Daniel got a rough deal. He was set up by jealous lesser men who wanted him out of the way. It seemed like they, they succeeded except for one major thing they overlooked, Daniel's trust in God. The interesting thing about Daniel being thrown into the den of lions is that before he found deliverance out of the den, he found deliverance in it. What if Daniel would have gone into the lion's den kicking and screaming, which he would have been justified in doing? Chances are he would have been torn to shreds before hitting the bottom, if it was God's will. Yes, of course. But Daniel didn't do this. He accepted his lot and trusted his life to God who shut the lion's mouth. Writer says, on more than one occasion, I've asked God that if I'm not going to be delivered out of my lion's den, naming whatever situation I was in, would he please deliver me in it? 
Sometimes God has a lesson for us to learn in our difficult situations, and before delivering us out of them, we need to find deliverance in them. He knew when he went in, whatever God is going to choose, he was okay with that. Whatever is going to happen, I'm okay with that. We must choose to act even if God does not rescue us from the powers that be. We must have the same attitude as Daniel's three friends in chapter three, the same exact attitude. Here's what they said in Daniel chapter three. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember the story, right? Nebuchadnezzar uh, commissions a golden statue to be, to, be, to be erected in the plain of Shinar. And every time the music was to sound, everyone bowed down. Well, these three men knew to worship an idol was forbidden in the law of Moses. They were unwilling to bow down. They stood up, these, these three men. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, he already knew their character. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand if God chooses, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. It's this, listen, I may get delivered, I may not get delivered, it doesn't matter. I'm gonna do the right thing. I'm gonna do the right thing. I may have to go to the fiery furnace. I may have to go to the den of lions, but I'm going to be faithful to God first, to the higher law out there. For he is the living God. Even Darius said that. God is the living God. He's alive. He's not dead. He's not like a dead idol that, that can't see or hear or speak. He's a living God who acts on behalf of his people. And God doesn't use miracles to show off. People need to honor him because of who he is. It gets their attention, surely, but he doesn't do it to show off. In this story here, this story, I, you know, you heard me say this before. This story is not about Daniel. What? No, it's really not about Daniel. The story is about God and who God is and our relationship to God and our responsibility to him. It's all about God. Daniel is just part of the character in the story. It's really all about God. Something that's interesting too, the law stated, if you do this, you'll get thrown into the den of lions. That's what the law say. So Interestingly, after the demands of the law were satisfied, Daniel was thrown into the den of lions. Daniel could be set free. Well, what do you mean? Well, Lankwer comments, perhaps we should see the king's hasty return early the next morning in the perspective of the ancient Babylonian custom that the victim would be pardoned if he were tortured and had not died by the following day. So after the demands of the law, the law was, if you violate this, you're gonna be cast into the, to the den of lions. After that was satisfied, then Daniel could be delivered. Think about that. Isn't that our salvation? After the demands of the law had been satisfied, Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, died in our place, fulfilling the demands of the law, then deliverance could come to us. That's really what it is. Once the demands of the law have been met, now deliverance can come. And in Christ, he met the demands of the law where you and I can be delivered. I wonder, have you been delivered today? Are you saved? Have you been born again? Christ paid the penalty. He met the demands of God's holy law for you. And if you don't know him today, trust him. Find faith in him today. Although it seems really cruel to us in the 21st century, to our ears, to throw the wives and the children in the pit at the same time as the man who did the, it sounds horrible, that was the custom in Persia of the day. That's what they did. It's not, I'm not, I wouldn't do that, but that's what they did in that day. So it wasn't unheard of. So the message of Daniel 6 is not that a faithful believer will always be expected to be saved from martyrdom. 
There is no guarantee. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read what happened under the Soviet Union over the Soviet bloc countries of all the people who died because of their faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean we're always going to be delivered. God had blessed Daniel for his faithfulness. God blesses faithfulness in his people still today. To have that God-centered perspective. In other words, what matters most is fulfilling God's purposes, whether by deliverance or death, rather than fulfilling what's most comfortable to me. And it's important for us today to determine now, in this moment, to obey God no matter what comes so we can stand firm in the faith when it does. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Daniel. It's not an unfamiliar story. We, we've heard it even as children in, in Sunday school. We heard the story of Daniel. Well-known, even unbelievers know this story. But Father, in this story, we see a very valuable lesson for us today there are things that are happening around us that are really tyranny and tyrants. And we have to understand this higher law, our faithfulness to you first above all things. Whatever comes out of that, we trust you and we believe. If it's deliverance, so be it. If it's martyrdom, may your name be blessed forever. Whatever it is, Father, we trust you. We just want to have the courage and the conviction, like Daniel, to be faithful to you no matter what comes our way. Help us because we need it in the coming days. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.